Always a pleasure to welcome to the program SEC replay official Gerald Hodges as uh, his appearance is brought to you by our good friends at A.G. Hines Company. And, of course, uh, with A.G. Hines, you're talking about providing building materials since anyone can remember. Gerald, how are you? Doing well, John. Doing well. Vince, how are you? What's it, what's it like to be at this stage of the season now that the uh, the conference championship games have come and gone? Bowl assignments, playoff assignments have been handed out. It uh, it really is right here at the tail end. Granted, there's still a big, almost, well, 40 football games remain in terms of the bowl system. You also got Army-Navy, but uh, right now, it's unfortunate that the that finish line gets here in a hurry, doesn't it? It really does. I can remember sitting there all summer waiting on, you know, first week in September. I was never going to get here. <laughs> and that last, those three months in the summer, basically, we have meetings up into May. But the three summer months, months seems like it takes about nine months, and the season lasts about three weeks. <laughs> and, uh, what is it like to uh, to draw the assignment of the SEC championship game? That's a that's an honor because it is selected by your on field or in booth rankings for the entire year. Uh, they're they're turned in, you know, a week two before that. And same way with the bowls. You know, you, you all kind of sit around hoping you're going to get a call and get a bowl. So it's another – it's probably as much or more exciting to do that than it is sitting around mid-July waiting on your first half of the schedule, regular season schedule. As you've talked about several times, the approach from one game to the next is the same for an officiating crew. You you call you handle the responsibilities with your assignment as a member of that crew or in the booth. And but what is it like? How different is the atmosphere when you take the field for uh, what is a raucous crowd? Used used to be in the Georgia Dome, now the Mercedes Benz Stadium, um, where it's half of one team, the other half supporting the uh, you know one for the Western Division, half for the Western Division champ, half for the Eastern Division champ. It it really is. Uh, a rare setting simply for the fact that everyone's there and is so amped up for that game. It really is. And then the, with the old Georgia Dome, which I had year before last, we had the last game in the old dome. The press box in the old dome was open to the crowd. There's no glass. And you're sitting right in the top of it, so all the noise goes straight to the top. We actually ended up had, – we had uh, our technician – work with the University of Georgia, which is really super guy. He came up with this idea that we had an intercom headphones just between the three of us in the booth. And then uh, when collaborative replay came along, then we had each other in one ear and then the, uh, the collaborative replay center in the other ear. So we had lots going on just in our headsets. Take us behind the curtains for that aspect of replay because it is collaborative and you're trying to get as as many eyes and in, involved in this as, as possible to uh, to make the best decision and as quickly as you can. But how much more comfortable is it to be a part of the collaborative replay effort now versus when it started and you're getting used to hearing a different voice as opposed to perhaps communicating with just the producer or director of the broadcast to, uh, to get you this view or that view? Right. Well, the the actual communication to the producer is that's the job that belongs to my communicator in the booth. Mm -hmm. So he handles the, uh, there's a hotline that telephone rings straight to the production truck and the producer answers. 
but the guys are so good anymore. Craig Silver with CBS is probably one of the best in the business. He knows what we're looking for before we pick up and call. Mm-hmm. But as soon as we shut it down, the communicator will pick up the phone, talk to the producer, and he may say, hey, we need to look down the sidelines. We're looking. He'll tell the producer what we're looking at. Like I said, most time they know. But it's either a goal line shot or down the sidelines, in line, whatever it is, a fumble, you know, foot down, inbounds, out of bounds. Then uh, he'll start sending us replays from those different cameras. And we also know in the booth which where the cameras are located, we go to the production truck about two hours before every game and talk to the producers, and they'll let us know where the cameras are located. So in our mind, and I mm-hmm. actually make a little chart just in case, that I know if I've got a high end zone to the right and there's a run down the sideline, we're going to get a pretty good shot. So I can look at that even before we call the truck. So that we look at a lot of plays that aren't officially stopped. John, glad you you brought up the camera angles that you uh, you know where they're going to be at right. each specific venue. There were a number of games this year in the SEC where the broadcaster said, "Well, there wasn't a play at the goal line. There wasn't a camera on the other side to be able to match up the play and really truly tell." whether a player had crossed the, the the plane or not, how much of a variance is there from game to game based on the network carrying those games, where cameras are and how many cameras were available at your disposal? There are quite, there's quite a range, Vince. Mm-hmm. Uh, CBS may have 16 cameras, and that's not even counting, well, counting some. They have pylon cameras at every game. Right. And those are a, a blessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had them year before last in the championship game. It's the first time CBS had gotten to use them. We actually had zero official stops in the whole game. Wow. Because there were four or five plays that we would have had to stop, you know, at the goal line. Was his knee down? Where was the ball? They showed us a pylon shot right down the goal line. It was just clear as day. So we didn't even have to stop it. But the cameras can vary as much as maybe just six or seven up until, you know, 12, 14. And who determines where those cameras are located? Is that them checking with you guys, all right, where do you need these, or is that totally their their broadcast production Right, uh, that's a production decision, decision, although there there are some parameters they have to follow. Obviously, we have to have a, a one at midfield. Some fields in the SEC don't do not allow the cart that moves up and down. Really? Wow. At the line of scrimmage. So that's a disadvantage in a lot of cases. Uh, there's a couple that don't allow that card on the field up and down. Then we have handhelds, but you never know what those guys are looking at a lot of time. You can't rely on the handhelds that much. Well, I, I know, and this isn't necessarily for, for that cart back and forth, but I know at Vanderbilt, when as part of the media, when the last few minutes the media gets to go down the field, you have to actually, the only way to get to the other side to where all the media availability is going to be in that tunnel uh-huh. is to walk through the Vanderbilt bench. Right. So the, the, there's just not the room there that wasn't designed. You have to walk through these players. It's so awkward. The game's still going on. And you're like, excuse me, excuse me. They said, just don't stop. So right. I could see how in, in some venues there's limited space to where they, they can't do that. Right, and that that's the reason. It's like the schools aren't just arbitrarily say no you can't put a card on our field right there's just not the room behind the benches so there are 
certain certain game or a number of games where there's not a camera at both go on both sides of the goal line oh, coming from both directions. In most yeah. cases, they're not. The, the bigger games will get, I guess, the bigger production crews where they have more ac- you know access or that type of thing. Too. So the SEC network doesn't have the pylon cam; it's just CBS. CBS has them in some of the uh, ESPN games. Okay, a uh, couple of their crews. It's funny because the production crews and the on on air personalities travel as a crew also mm-hmm. all year. Same, you'll have the same producer, the same two guys in the booth, and you know so they do about like the officials. There was a, a play that created a lot of conversation. Football games have that, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> but uh, Alabama running back carries the ball towards the goal line. He fumbles the football. It goes into the end zone, and as he puts both hands on it, controls it. It's almost then immediately afterwards slapped free by Georgia. Bulldogs pick it up, go the other way, go the distance of the field. They took a good look at that, a long look at it, came back and said that for the uh, the moment that he completely controlled it, um, that that ended the play. And uh, have you, one, seen a play like that before? And I think they got it right because as soon as he controls the ball with both hands, that's it. Right, and you know, I didn't get to see it. I was having travel issues Saturday. <laughs> Wouldn't but. wish that on anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but the way the rule is, yes, in the end zone, if he if he possesses the ball, it's and it's a little different than the completing the catch deal. So we don't we don't go there. Now. <laughs> we don't have time. But if he possesses the ball, a live ball in the opponent's end zone, it's a it's a touchdown. There's no time limit they have to hold it. it it becomes dead at that point and then now he was already on the ground mm-hmm. uh, as he had lost control of the ball goes into the end zone and so he's already on the ground laying down as he puts both hands on it if that had been outside let's say that the ball was at the one yard line as opposed to in the end zone that also ends the play right it then does, because yes. he would be down by contact as there were people on top of him well they're, the rule down by contact is strictly an NFL gotcha. phrase. There is no such rule in God. But okay, his knees on, down. Exactly. If he has a body part other than a hand or foot on the ground and he possesses the ball, the ball's dead. Yeah, yeah just like a receiver that mistakenly goes down on one knee to make a catch exactly. behind the line of scrimmage. Right, exactly. If he's the holder, he's got the exception. He, can, right. run, he can run, but he's not as pass, a receiver. Or he can pitch it backwards over his head to let somebody come get it. Or a knee down to field a low snap at the end of a ball game. Oh yeah, Kellen Mond at Texas A and M, which that that was he ended up throwing an interception that would have sealed the game for LSU in that seventy four seventy two game. That was at the end of regulation, but to field the low snap, his knee went touched the ground as he, as he had possession of the ball, yeah, that, and that that made the play dead when they reviewed it. That was one of the many controversial plays in that uh, 74, 72, seven overtime. Right. Yeah. And that's the same thing with a punter. You'll see that a lot mm-hmm. where they, a low snap on a punt. The yes. punter will go to one knee to, to catch it and then get back up and he kicks it. But he does not have the same protection, right? That a holder does. What? That the ball's dead. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He didn't have the option to get back yeah. up. Exactly. Right. That's Gerald Hodges. If you have a question or comment for Gerald about the rule book, 656-9900-656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. Gerald's appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember.
Sports Talk continues. Vince Ferrara, pinch hitting for Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. Our guest, SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. And Gerald's appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company. Gerald, there was a moment in the Big Ten championship game that uh, created a little bit of conversation, and that is um, Northwestern would score quickly after this, but here's how it goes. The uh, Northwestern goes through the air, the receiver makes the catch, and as he goes down, Ohio State trying to rip the ball free. Ball comes out, and they say receiver was down. You go back, you get a close look, there's at least the impression that as his knee actually touches, what it lands on is the shoe of the defender for Ohio State as opposed to the turf. I don't think there was a clear enough thing to overrule the ruling on the field, but tell me, in your thought process, if indeed there was that angle that shows you that it, that his knee was contacting the top of a defender's cleat as opposed to the turf, is that still a live ball? It would be. That's the same as if he were to roll over a tackler on the ground, mm-hmm. and you see that in a running back a lot. They'll they'll hit the pile, roll, or turn a forward flip, land on their feet, and keep on going. Yeah. So if he actually does not hit the the ground, if there's a shoe, a hand, foot, you know, and and it it is clear enough to determine that, but that the ball remains alive as long as he does not actually hit the ground or turf wherever they're playing. But if the knee itself, and I always like to cloud these up even more if I can, <laughs> but as the knee comes down on the cleat and the shin were then to contact the turf before the ball comes free, then it's a it, then it's dead. Then the dead. play is over. Right. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, it was uh, interesting to uh, to just see because that's on Twitter just to see the screen caps, uh, you know, where they go, look at this, and, and people showing the different angles that prove that their stance on the thing is right. Uh, it was interesting to see that back and forth as Ohio State was trying to get the ball free as the Buckeyes went on to beat the Wildcats. But if you have a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900, 656-9900. Gerald, just remind everybody how bowl assignments work for officiating crews and uh, and replay officials and what sort of the parameters when they announce those for everybody what they are okay typically the of course it all revolves around now the playoff selection mm-hmm. uh show basically that was on yesterday afternoon <clears throat> so they'll they will pick the four teams in the playoffs assign them to the two semifinal games and then you'll have the rest of the new year six bowls or whatever you know they will pick the as they go down the ranking you'll have one through four and then, you know, on down through the top 10 and actually all the way down through the top 25 as far as their rankings all the way down. So then the bowls, uh, and there's a couple, there's several different uh, outcomes on the bowls once you get past the first two, the first semifinal games. But uh, then they will pick their teams. The bowls will pick the teams. And then as they get down, a lot of the bowls have – conference tie-ins which mm-hmm. i think the sec has 11 or 12 and uh so then they'll put those in with the bowl tie-ins once the bowls are set as far as teams and then the uh the ncaa will assign conferences to uh, a certain number of bowls mm-hmm. and uh, one that's not participating in the game right, right. The, the, the way the bowls work all, all the way through, you cannot work a bowl game if the team from your conference is in it. Mm. 
So there'll always be neutral conference officials at every bowl game. So is there sort? There's a, a I guess a national rating that the conferences share with the NCAA to say, all right, for you to decide on who the crews are for the semifinals. Here are our top crews. How, how does that? No, work? what they do, they assign. They will tell the conference you have these games. Okay, and then the conference will select the officials to fill those assignments. Okay. Uh, now I think it's out. It's public knowledge now, but uh, I think the SEC has the uh, Cotton Bowl. Mm-hmm. That's Notre Dame and Clemson. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I've seen the list, but that's they've just say tell the SEC, okay, send a crew to the Cotton Bowl on field and replay. Do you recall who has the Orange Bowl, Alabama and Oklahoma? I don't. Okay. It, it's, I mean, it's, It'll be in the paper somewhere. ESPN may have it by now. Right. But that, I mean, it's out somewhere. Oh, uh, but they will. Uh, and then they trickle down. Uh, I think the SEC this year has got five bowls. So, so some will some crews just work one game, or is there a chance oh, they, that they'll yeah. work multiple? No, the, you you work one game, one postseason assignment. Gotcha. So, you uh, you've got some numbers for us. I do. Uh, we've got some. They always say unofficial, unofficial figures coming in, but <laughs> typically, uh, and they they'll tweak these. But when they get them, and they may even count the bowls in, I'm mm-hmm. not sure. But at some point, they'll put out a nationwide list. But uh, as far as the SEC this year for this season, we averaged two point three three stops per game. Those are official stops, and uh, keep in mind that all targeting fouls are reviewed by the booth so that might make that up a little higher because uh, some of them we see called and we know we know right off it's targeting but they are automatically reviewed because it uh, concerns the ejection mm-hmm. ejected player and the big one that the average time of all the reviews over the whole season was one minute and seven seconds one minute seven seconds right I've had some civic club talks where you know, we get guesses anywhere from four to five to six minutes. <laughs> it probably seems like if you're sitting home waiting or in the stadium. Those are the ones that get discussed. <laughs> yes, the, the, the long ones. The, the, the long ones. Um, and do you think that comes from just folks being, uh, from the process of collaborative le- replay being a much more, I guess, comfortable execution? Probably. Uh, collaborative replay, I think, is a great thing. It uh, It just gives a in our case, three more sets of eyes to look at something. And uh, the uh, I don't know if it's brought the times down. I would think it has a little bit too because you're more comfortable, you know, having someone else looking at it also. But uh, it's still – but keep in mind the the final decision is made by the guy sitting at the stadium in that chair. And as you were talking off the air uh, – Sometimes you've already seen all you need to see before the official on the field even gets the headset on. Correct. We we have you know especially if you have a really good producer, it, that's a big part of it, and they know. And it's sometimes just the luck of the draw too. It may happen right in front of a camera where you've got a really good angle. Mm-hmm. But we last year instituted a, a process that if we absolutely know you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, we can stop the referee over the uh, referee's O2O system and just say, hey, it's confirmed, and then, then we'll go on. But, you know, we're trying to 
not drag the game along too far. So, but that is a quick confirm that we do. Now, quick follow-up, how do those numbers maybe compare to last year or recent years, do you know, in terms of the time in, in number of stops? Is that a trend in a positive direction? or Yes, the, the, and I don't remember exactly. I, I don't want to quote it, but I know it, it's down some from last year a good bit, mm-hmm. uh, as well as game times, which was a, a uh, function of a couple of rule changes this year on uh, adding a 40-second play clock after a – you know, after a score and after a kickoff, because they always teams always love to huddle over on the sidelines, even at, you know. But then the big one, and as you, we were talking about off the air, the big red clock that they hold out there by the red hat now, and uh, that kind of holds the TV producers' feet to the fire because they they were always usually squeezing in a few five or ten extra seconds and twenty twenty commercials in a game. It adds up, so. The time of the games has been shortened a good bit this year. We'll get a break. We've got one more segment with Gerald Hodges coming up to join us on Sports Talk 656-9900, 656-9900. Gerald's appearance brought to you by our good friends at A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Closing out today's edition of Sports Talk, I'm John Wilkerson, Vince Ferrara, pinch hitting for Jimmy Hyams, and it is our final segment of the season with SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. Gerald, we always uh, appreciate your time, your insight, and uh, benefiting from your incredible experience, so thank you so much for another fantastic year with us. And uh, But you were talking about it with, uh, with Vince during the break last night as the Chargers started uh, a first-ever comeback that no team had ever beaten the Steelers after trailing in Pittsburgh by two or more touchdowns until the Chargers last night. But there was a touchdown right before the end of the first quarter where it's just don't know how the crew on the field missed it, but they missed a false start and replaced powerless to do anything there. That's one of the things that doesn't fall under that umbrella, right? That that is correct. Yeah, that is a non-reviewable aspect of the play that uh, we can't, uh, can't do anything with. And that's the same in college, isn't it? Yes, yes. Do you think there could be, because I know if there's anything that officials love, it's exceptions. <laughs> but don't you think there could be the fact that there is collaboratively replay for the Southeastern Conference, that there is collaboration in the National Football League, that there might be just a, a catch-all to where if there's something this egregious, that it does put it on the table just for... I won't say the integrity of the game, but for something that was so incredibly obvious that there could be, all right, most times this can't be reviewed, but in this instance, yeah, that find something. <laughs> well, actually in the, the replay rules for college, the word egregious appears. And uh, we spent about two days in Chicago when you're trying to define egregious. <laughs> we really did. And, uh, but, an example of one uh, that has happened has happened to me. It's happened a couple of times, but uh, and it came up because of a. I don't remember who the game now, but it may have been an old Big East one of the big the old Big East conference mm-hmm. games where a player signal for a fair catch on a punt. The covering players stop. He just takes off, scores. For whatever reason, the three deep officials didn't see the signal. It could have been an early signal maybe, but anyway, he just takes off and scores and they were powerless to do anything about it. Wow. So 
that was what caused the egregious to come in. But and there again, they they caution us to be in when replay first started. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's well, they're going to be officiating from the booth, and they're very conscious they don't want us officiating the game from a booth, from the booth. The things that are definite, indisputable video evidence. <laughs> that you see, you know, we can do that, but we judgment calls I don't think are ever going to get involved. And I guess basically that is a judgment call. Hey, did he move first? Was the ball moving? So mm-hmm. that'd be a real thin line, but, you know, who, you know anything's possible, literally. Uh, I think Jimmy uh, Jimmy may, may, may be glad to hear that there's going to be some discussion this year where there are fouls called involving ejections of players that replay may be able to get involved with that if it goes through the rules committee but it's it'll certainly be discussed well to that point uh after you guys work your postseason assignments what's the what's the offseason look like for officials and for uh you know conferences trying to figure out are there you know, I guess there's other levels of evaluation that everybody goes through. And then what if there are going to be any tweaks to any rules that involves officiating? Well, typically we get a questionnaire from the NCAA, the active officials and replay officials in the off season. And, you know, some years that there's a lot of questions and then other years, you know, maybe not so many, but it basically it's like, would you be in favor of, you know, whatever the rule change would be, uh, I know he keeps being batting around about defensive pass interference being a spot foul like it is in the pros. I don't think that's ever going to get much traction. You know, you don't want a 70-yard penalty, you know. So, uh, but things like that. And then there's different, you know, even timing issues. Uh, they're still working on length of games. They want to try to keep those games obviously under three and a half hours. The NFL just about you can just about count on an NFL game going three oh five unless there's overtime. They've got it tweaked and they found out they were having trouble selling advertising in the fourth quarters when a game lasted four hours. Uh-huh. So it all comes down to the, the money aspect of it. You know, people were turning it off doing something else after about three and a half hours. So they've got their games really even about three oh five, three ten on a normal game and you can about time it. So we uh, got about a minute left in the show, so I'll try and make this as quick as possible. Colts and the Jaguars are playing Colts uh, running. They don't have any timeouts. Okay. And, uh, and so it's the very end of the game. Uh, receiver makes the catch. He's trying to get out of bounds to go to the sideline, gets hit in bounds, and then goes backward about a yard, lands out of bounds. Many thought that since he was out of bounds, you stopped the clock. But the fact that he went backward, forward the progress, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So since that happened you inbounds, the clock. that yep. was it, huh? That's exactly it. And that would be the same. It's same in college. Yes, gotcha. Sir. Right. All right. Well, Colts fans, um, not happy, <laughs> but they don't have to be. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Gerald, thank you so much. Uh, best of luck. Safe yeah, travels wherever you go for the postseason, and we will look forward to doing this again next year. Well, hopefully we'll do it. Thank you. Appreciate both of you. Thanks, Gerald.